This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God in His Word. We pray this content challenges, edifies, and blesses you. So, without further ado, let's check out What's At The Table. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of At the Table podcast. I'm here with my two co-hosts, as usual, the wonderful John and the awesome Creek. Mm. No sarcasm, no no shots taken. Just two brothers in Christ here to record an episode by God's grace. By God's grace. I kind of feel like if you were doing the Basil thing, that you just didn't do very well. Golly. Well, I was going to try to, but. I don't think so. I've seen the hesitation. The wonderful. Well, I was half expecting you to, you to be out. a clown on the intro. and so For real, dude, like, he just has that look. So I was a little bitter. I didn't want to say anything nice <laughs> about you. Loki, did you just tell me I looked like a clown? <laughs> no, I said you were going to. Well, I guess I did say that, but I didn't mean like wow. that. We're a little late to the punch, and we're sorry. Yeah, so... A little disclaimer to our audience. Many of you who faithfully listen will notice that we typically release an episode every Saturday. Um, this time, that did not happen. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues in the posting process, and we ended up with an entire episode that was deleted. Our our entire audio file <laughs> was gone. And uh, so... Bonskis. For all of our fellow podcasters, I know there's a few of you that listen to this. I've often listened to your shows, and I've heard of your technical difficulties. Yes. And I've yet to experience them myself, and then today, or this week, it happened. It happened. Well, we, it was we uh, did. so weird. Yeah. It was uh, just maybe gone. Maybe God was like, other, maybe other times, God didn't like our episode, like, and it was like, yeah, no, nah, you can redo this. <laughs> or the enemy liked, like hated it so much that he got in the way. And this one's going to be better than. But we like Dalton, you know, you were about to talk about technical issues before, but those we know the reason why it happened. Yeah. This has no explanation. Yeah, we had some hardware uh, upgrades that were needed, and that fixed most. But of that, right so. now we're we're like in the like, apex of equipment, and it just like the apex. He says, like when we used to hover around one mic. <laughs> oh, oh, those were the good days. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. <laughs> But, so, um, we are very sorry for all of our listeners. Um, unfortunately, you can't always control technology. And uh, uh, we've, we've all pulled a consensus and agreed to lay every bit of the blame at uh, anyone else's feet but ours. I, so, I say Satan's a good candidate. Yeah. I mean, if, he's not good for anything if not something to lay the blame of something. True, at. true. That's, That's all he's good true. for. Yeah. So, if you're listening to this, Satan, enjoy that. We hate you. We yeah, straight up. I hate sure. that dude. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. There's I'm nobody just... in this world I despise more than you. Yeah, no doubt. Well, um, besides maybe 18 year old me, he's. A do you think in the lake place. of fire, God will just make him listen to this over and over and over? I doubt that. I, I hope that that's not the tort. Well, maybe I do hope. Just it that is. part. Okay, because I'm like, I don't know how to take that. Are you saying that our podcast <laughs> is torturous and like that would be the ultimate hell no. is to have to listen to this, or are you saying that it's <laughs> well, so Christian and godly that that would that would be torture to him specifically? Yeah. Okay, because I can rock with the second. The first one is kind of hurtful. I so, got. I got. So, just changing the topic. I got stung by a wasp today at work, dude. It feels like somebody punched me in the rib. Dang yeah. And it hurts so what bad. What color was it? Red. Oh, those are the demons. I, yeah. I had some technical difficulties of my own. So the belt came in, as you know, the... the Wrong deck. size? No, no, it was oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> the deck belt came in for my lawnmower, which quit cutting. Me and Trey cut a rather large, very, very large yard together. It's a ranch. We got out there, and I was, what, 15 minutes in to cutting into... Yeah. What two people? It takes us usually an hour and a half to get done, and uh, the deck belt went kablooey, as Rabbi Feldman would say. Not the <laughs> big one, but it went kablooey. <laughs> so we get this new deck belt replacement, and I start taking the mower apart when I get home from work after I eat supper, just before I came here. And uh, 
through a long grueling process, I finally get it on. You know how those belts and those springs are. God, it makes you want to punch somebody in the nose. That's horrible. But I got it on, and then, you know, started up the mower, took a few laps, cuts like a dream. I mean, belts could probably use sharpened a little bit at some point, but not too bad. Blades. Anyway, I park it and shut it off. And my wife's like, oh, why'd you shut it off? I'm like, um, well, I, actually, I don't rightly know, other than maybe to put some stuff back together. Because you don't want to put all those blade guards back on and then have to take them right back off if you mess something up. So I turn it off, right? I got to start it back up and I want to start. Like, not turn over, not click, not nothing. So I'm tinkering around, and after about 25 minutes worth of stuff, my wife talks me into jump-starting it. So it doesn't work. I cross the solenoid over, and it starts up, only to realize the whole time I had the deck engaged. <laughs> and that's why it wouldn't turn on. Oh, man. I've never felt more stupid in my life. Yeah, well, I would love to like talk you out of that feeling. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. We've all been there. Don't we join, have. Don't join Satan. You know, I, our Jesus banter really needs to be over because we don't need to take up 15 minutes doing it. But I have to say that I want some some accolades. I brought what? to life again a mower that has been sitting in a barn for 10 years. Does this cat sound like What's Nebuchadnezzar to you For right real, now? dude. For real. Dude, that's, that's impressive. Like Could either one of you guys do that? Look at this kingdom I've built with my Do either one of you guys. Let's see how long that mower runs. <laughs> don't say that. Because he's actually time, dependent on that mower running. Next time we're out there cutting, I don't want to do Well, he's probably going to keep the deck on, and it's not even going to. The blades on. Oh, uh, this one's start. older than that. It doesn't. It doesn't have those safety <laughs> features. <laughs> why, why <don't> <laughs> it will get... allow you to chop yourself into a thousand. It doesn't wow. kill it if you go backwards with the blades. That's on. That's only no. because the rats have eaten every safety wire that's attached to that mower. But I got and, it running and for you. Why don't you just go get stung by a wasp again? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just tell me, tell me that I did good. You did good. You did you. good. All right, and that's th- on there's you. someone else that deserves more accolades before we start. Crick and I attend a. Bible study on Tuesday nights that we're actually skipping to to do this, <laughs> <laughs> but um, our our brother Brendan is getting baptized tonight, and yes, I can personally attest that this is probably his second or third trip around the getting saved wagon. We've all, some of us have been there, and he's got this get saved every week. Shoot, that ain't no doubt. I watched that. No, I'm just joking. I was the same way. Um, but yeah, he, uh, <laughs> oh man, I, I didn't even see the dig at me until like 10 seconds later. Go ahead. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, I, this time you can definitely tell this brother has been born again. By regenerated. Yes. And yeah. sober. Yeah. yeah. Praise God for that. Dude, I've been following that. his journey and I'm, I'm so yeah. proud of him. Getting baptized Brendan, tonight. if I can just say from all of us at the table podcast, we are proud of you. Very yes. proud of you. Keep fighting the good fight, soldier. I Amen. see him out there with with his family. I mean, it's awesome, dude. I'm just I'm sure for him. He's also an MMA guy. He's pretty tough. <laughs> it's an MMA fight? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we got we got a shout-out of country, and um, I can't remember which country we shouted out. Romania. Romania, yes. Romania. For all the fans of Dracula out there, and to our listener in Romania, thank you for listening. We love you. Yo, connect with us, man. Yeah, that's actually a good point. That that kind of segues us into our last little bit before we end our banter. And if we're, this episode runs a little long, I'm sorry, guys. Just skip the banter if you want. No, don't do that. Don't <laughs> listen to Greek. Listen to every minute of my voice. But whoa, <laughs> I, I do I do want to say like um, for all of our listeners, connect with us on Facebook. Um, you can email at us um, at at the table podcast mail at gmail dot com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to connect and and, and yeah. to c- create. A community around this podcast. Yes. Um, for those of you yes. who know us, I mean, we already have that community in our in our local ecclesia and in even some distance. But we would love to to see that grow. So, um, just email us or get a uh, leave a comment on one of our posts. Just get yeah, a hold of us. Check in on the Facebook page. Do yeah. something to let let us know you're out there. We'd love to connect with you. Okay. Yes. Well, um, without further ado, Dalton, what is at the table? I was going to ask you, but okay. <laughs> Well, uh, so we, we wrapped up um, last episode where, where David is, he's anointed 
and um, he he goes out and he and he proves himself in battle while killing the the giant Goliath, mm. right? Um, so we have this seed of the woman who she, he's from the right tribe, and he's anointed with a horn, symbolizing uh, you know authority, and then he's initiated by killing a seed of the serpent, quite mm. literally, by crushing his head. So it's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. Yeah, and we've come to this this. I guess I don't want I don't know the word that I want to say. It's not a, a dichotomy, but it's like a comparison, a contrast. Kinda, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a contrast between David who is the up and comer, right? The one who God has chosen. He is the Messiah and this old king, this Saul who was got but he's rejected now. He was the Messiah, yeah. but he is rejected. So you almost have this Christ versus Antichrist. Yes. Yes. There's, And this, by the way, is episode number 15 of our Snake Crusher series. So, Amen. Yeah. Awesome. It's been I'd a- like to point out before we keep going, like, for the listener, try to really put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is witnessing this. Like, yes. This, this really, right now, from your perspective, this is the dude. This is the dude. You know, as far as, you know, the serpent himself, you know, he, like, this is the guy. Yeah. This is, the, yeah. he meets all the criteria as of right now that this is the snake crusher. This is how the story will be it's wrapped not, up. It's not been better than this. Yeah, at this right. point in the text, we have, we have no no given reason so far. Like, a lot of our disqualifiers have been, where's your where's your lineage where right. right circumstances right. that they can't control yeah exactly they've been levites they've been you know from the tribe of ephraim etc cetera, etc cetera, right they and then another one of the disqualifiers has been rebellion or sin right in fact that was one of our first that was our second disqualifier of Saul the first one was his lineage he was from Benjamin thus far at this point in time we have no such rebellion in David so uh, like we said in the last episode, let's let's just imagine you were reading this as if it was a novel, and at chapter seventeen, your eyes got droopy, where we ended with our last podcast, and you fell asleep. When you wake up and you engage this text again, and you see David, David's hitting all the right notes for you. He seems to he seems to be right where every everywhere Saul was wrong. Every time that there comes a decision time, where it's like, what are you going to do? He always has a heart after Yahweh. He always does things Yahweh's way. He's not consulting a priest when there's a Nephilim out, you know, disgracing the armies of Israel. He's going out and he's fighting on behalf of his God. Right. It says that he's after God's own heart. And I would like to point out, you know, being after God's own heart doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean anything like that. It actually purely means you're acting in faith based off of what God has told you. And that is what David has done. Every time. Yeah. And he's done a pretty stand-up job. I mean, to be real, there's not been the variances. Like Saul eventually, not to belabor the point, he did eventually attack the Philistines after his son already engaged them. You know, but David has been eager to fight the battles of the people. He's He's been eager to be the representative on their behalf and stand against the representative of chaos. You know, yeah. he's, he's been eager to engage odds and not from a place of trying to establish his own image. That's good. He's he's not been seeking to build his own statue. Mm. He hears God's name being blasphemed yeah. and it is zeal for the name of the Lord and love for the name of God's name that fills him with rage. He's intrigued at Saul's daughter and the taxlessness. Don't get me wrong. Right. He definitely acts intrigued. But whenever he hears that, Goliath is spewing blasphemies against God. It's almost like David turns around to the rest of the group and he's like, "Why are you stomaching this?" Yeah, you know. And he doesn't see the anointing as something to have for one's own sake. This mm-hmm. is something that God has given me on behalf of the people. This is something that God has right. given me on His own behalf, on for His name's sake, yes. and for this. And and why else did He create Israel except for his own namesake. Mm. And and that's where that last chapter left off. You've got the the Israelites plundering the Philistines' camp. The Philistines abandon their camp, and they tuck tail and bounce, right? 
because their champion has just been literally killed with a rock by a 16-year-old boy. There's nothing else to fill in the blanks there other than divine intervention, right? Yahweh has favored David. Goliath's been struck down. Interesting enough, in verse 57 of the previous chapter, it says, David, as soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Uh, like, that is tough. First, the snake's head is crushed with a rock. It's cut off with his own sword, and he takes the head of, of the representative of chaos and those that would oppose Yahweh into Saul's court. And 18 picks up with a theme of the previous anointed that has been rejected by God showing jealousy after God's new candidate. That's how we left off last episode, right? It was like, so we have the anointing, we have the proving of oneself, but one thing's missing. Yeah. We need and one thing's in the way. Yeah. And as Creek so beautifully pointed out, for a king to be coronated, the one that's sitting in the throne's got to go. It's got to be an uncoronation, <laughs> if you will. So verse or chapter 18, verse 1, picks up and says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, for he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. It says literally like, you know, Jonathan's, Jonathan and David's souls were knit together. And this is something I want to point out, like, in this godly man, like, he has this, I would call it, I don't want to make it too, like, modern, like, how it is now, but accountability, like, somebody to console, or, or, or to consult with, somebody who will tell him what's up. Yeah. I and think Saul didn't have that. Right. There's no, there's no one around him to give him godly counsel. Right. And there's, there's a theme in this next verse that's going to become really, really important way later on. So in verse 5, it says, Whatever Saul asked David to do, he did it successfully. So Saul made him commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and his officers alike. But it says, When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me only with thousands. Next, they'll be making them him their king. So from that time forward, Saul keeps a jealous eye on David. <laughs> Is but Saul some, among the prophets? I mean, but <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but something that I find interesting, like you know, you you would find in and and this is ultimately where in a later book in the Bible that we'll get to much 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 later, there's a word marathona. It's it's a race, and it's used to describe what would happen whenever a king and his army would leave their prospective city state and go out to do battle with another. And conquer another. They would send a runner back home in a marathon, marathon a race. And this soldier would run back to the city and proclaim the victory of the king and give the news of that to the city so they could prepare a parade, right? Well, these women are like preparing to receive Saul, it says. Even though he hasn't really done anything, David's the one that's done something, and the armies have done something. And the armies come back, and at what should be like a time of celebration, like women are saying, hey, Saul has slain his thousands. They give him honor. When it's like, in this battle, you really don't deserve any, but Saul has slain his, his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And over the champion of the Israelites, when the army returns victorious, Saul doesn't receive that parade and that news very good. Right. Even though, I mean, you're pointing out that he doesn't deserve any honor. But the, I mean, in this particular case. The, the fact is, though, is that he's the king. And so it doesn't really matter who does what. They're doing it under his leadership. And ultimately, he gets honor. He gets glory. 
Well, he would also have been beheaded and killed if, like, you know, if, if let's say, the Philistines won, they, he would have been the first one they would have killed. Right, and, yeah. And we see here, it's a theme where, you know, we see that Saul is starting to feel very isolated. Yes. Saul's, every, it's, it, they're not abandoning Saul, but it does seem like Saul is kind of becoming a shadow of David, and we see here the people have started to acknowledge that. That's a beautiful point. It's in a way like his isolation, his recoil is, um, what would you say? Um, It's instigated or it's a result of, or it's catalyzed by, that's a good way to put that. It's catalyzed by positive things done on behalf of the nation of Israel, right? Yes. These good things that happen to them that God uses David to do causes Saul and his frame of mind to recluse. And as his frame of mind is bad, the next part of this text shows us that it's not just has been bad, but it seems to be getting even worse by the day. And I I agree with you. I just think that it's self-imposed. Sure. Like, he doesn't have to view this as a bad thing. No. David's honor could be his honor. Sure. It's my servant that went out and killed Goliath. And David even refers to him as king, and he and Jonathan refers to him as yeah, well, Saul's servant. And we know that, you know, Yahweh has rejected Saul. And so, you know, perhaps, you know, he's seeing this rejection, and he, and it's almost like it's, it's the, unrolling. The truth right? is, is like even pagan kings, right? Like when Pharaoh's country gets saved by Joseph— he doesn't hate Joseph for it. Yes. <laughs> he honors him, right? right? Because like this is this honors me too. Sure. And so it's like this lack of wisdom that even a pagan king would look at that and say like, "Hey, yeah. Whether by me or him, we're saved." Yeah. Praise yeah. God, right? Well, the Sodomite king with Abraham too. Like, "Oh, just give me back the people and keep everything." <laughs> yeah, <else."> like <laughs> he's like, "No, you're willing, not. willing to death to bless your socks off, you yeah. know, but here the it's almost like that at the end of the last chapter when it mentioned that there was an evil spirit, it's almost like it's just poisoning him. Yeah. Well, that that's he, what I was going to say. His, his condition by the day is getting worse, and it seems like a catalyst to that is this tormenting spirit. And that that's what it says in verse 10. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, tending to pin him into the wall. But David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David, and I turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. He continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized with this, he became even more afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops in battle, which harkens back to the first thing that they asked for. You know, I, I can't remember if we pointed this out, but etymologically, um, that's a really fancy term to say like the, the root of language or the meaning of, of the root languages in this text. Saul's name is etymologically related in Hebrew to the same word um, that the people, it's, it's this like related to saying asked for. Right. Sa'al and Saul. They're, the two words are related. Requested almost. Yeah, exactly. And it's like uh, David's like the good guy. is doing the thing that they asked for, but he's not like the other kings and according to whom they have asked. Whereas Saul shows us, that's exactly what he is. He's he's just like all those other guys. And one thing we mentioned in the last episode was that David was supposed to get a wife out of this ordeal. Yeah. And Saul was supposed to give his daughter to him. And we find out that's not, it's not what he does. He, he I love what he says. He says, one, one day Saul said to David, I'm ready to give you my older daughter, Merab, as your wife, but first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. Holy cow. <laughs> the pair on this guy, dude. It's like a real warrior. I know battle. Don't you remember the song? 
<laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it's or it's like, bro, don't you remember when you were silking in your tent? When you were hiding behind luggage? But that's exactly it. Is It's just a manipulation tactic to get David yeah. killed. He wants David to die among the Philistine. And it, and it seems as if, like, he, he is attempting in, in hubris to prop himself up high. Like, every, everything from this point forward, sorry, it just... It feels like Saul trying to cleave in desperation to the scheme. Throne. Yeah. Right? He's scheming. He's trying to be, like, subtle. Like, he's tempting David with this daughter, which he already promised him. Right. But, like, where any other man would be like, yeah, you know, this. well, this is going to make me son-in-law to the king. Like, this is a position to have. Sure, this is you, great, yeah. You see, the, like, in 18, like, David doesn't take, he's pure in heart. He doesn't take the, the trap. He doesn't take the bait. He says, who am I? And what is my family that I should be the king, the king's son-in-law? Yeah. My father's family is nothing. Mm. So it's like almost when it comes to like the Joseph test, right? Like are you going to try to take this, what, what has been promised to you by God? Yeah. Are you going to try to take it in your own way? So, yeah, and that's, so he, <laughs> that's with the second daughter. Because the first one, he's like, hey, I'm ready to give her to you. And then David's like, oh. Cool. And then Saul doesn't. He gives her to somebody else instead. And then he's like, you know what? Hmm. I've got an idea. I'm going to give my younger daughter to David as a snare. <laughs> so that he would get killed because of her by the Philistines. So, which is kind of erroneous to think about. Like, this dude took on the baddest he's Philistine in the entire camp. How jealous can you be? They're literally singing songs about the tens of thousands that he knocks down. And you're thinking you're going to get... They ran from him <laughs> when he was a boy. They fled from him. And if that all that isn't enough, you know that the Spirit of God is yes, with him. That's what I was about to say. Why would you want that to die? Why would you want that to depart? You would the rather Spirit of God you. is amongst the people again. He is mm-hmm. on you know, this leader. That is a thing to desire. Mm. Mm. So Saul, like, kind of wrapping this chapter up, gives this outrageous bride price, this, like, outrageous dowry. He's like, you know what? Uh, You want my daughter? What more does the king ask for than just a hundred foreskins of the Philistines? (laughs) Like, what what more does he ask for? Like, (laughs) what? Are you serious? First of all, uh, weird. (laughs) I wonder if that's part of that spirit, dude. Oh my goodness! Like, oh, uh, I don't know. That's wow. what a what a strange thing to ask. But I vengeance mean, on my enemies, like, dude, still them, all about him. Them being pursued wasn't enough. Their camps like, getting plundered. Shot why is that what it Clark. takes for vengeance? <laughs> I mean, I, I've been angry at somebody. I don't know that I've ever been that angry. Man, <laughs> it's, it's wild. I think dude. you pointed something out in our last take. Like you said, maybe that's something that someone wouldn't willingly give up, so it means that... You definitely he, killed him? Yeah, like they're dead. <laughs> I just... Well, he ends up... He doubles it, right? David kills 200 Philistines and takes 200 foreskins. That's what's now, crazy. I don't know how he carried him back. It, it says David delighted to accept the offer. <laughs> he had a bag. What? I just can't help but picture the guy from... He's not in the squad that got yanked, and he just walks up on all of his fallen brethren and just sees the mess that's been made. Well, and, and he's it, probably thinking, what a freaking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's crazy is like the, the double down after double down after double down, right? He's like, one scheme after another doesn't work. I can't like, imagine. I, one, one lie, one broken word. And he. It says, like, whenever Saul realized that the Lord was with him. This isn't the first time this revelation has come to him. But when he realizes the Lord is with him and that Michael loved him, that his daughter loved David, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Well, it's that, it's that theme of isolation. Like, yeah. you know, oh, my daughter loves him now. Like, yeah. this is kind of... Getting out of control, like, you know. Everybody's Yah- taking this up. Yahweh has first rejected me. The people have uh, rejected me. And then 
now my own daughter. And the son, Jonathan. Right, right. This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating, review, and share our podcast with a friend. If you'd like to contact us, email us at at the table podcast mail at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Now, let's get back into the show. There was something else you wanted to expound on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just can't. They've been making fun of me throughout the break, but I just can't help but be picturing like the king of the Philistines as a servant who had to report the results of that battle. Oh, don't go there. Come on, man. Don't do Like, it. you just go back to the king and you're like, don't do it. all of their loincloths were, were gone and they were, they were missing something. We'll just put it that way. Ladies and gentlemen, please plug. Chapter 19. Please plug the ears <laughs> of your children. I, just to be clear, that was not John or Creek. That was Trey. <laughs> Where's that cricket button? You have got I'm to get sorry, on point dude, with that I'm soundboard. Sorry. You dog. just sold me out. Anyway. I freaking set you up so many times for you to not. Anyway, you were the last point that we made was out. Like everyone's turning against. Yeah, Saul. everybody. His family. His Even his family likes David better. Yeah, everybody. And God does. Israel. <laughs> <laughs> You know that paranoid feeling that you get when, like, you, you feel like everyone likes somebody more than you? Oh, but imagine. How bad it would it be true. if it was true? <laughs> it's like, yeah. even God likes him better than you. Like, <laughs> to <laughs> to even rough. think, yeah. Oh, gosh. That's scary. Ah. <laughs> but this brings up a good point that it, I, we're, we're continuing to see a process where there's failed attempt, no repentance. Failed attempt, no repentance. Right. And every time that David does something honorable, the spirit seems to come over Saul that makes him just yeah, just rave. But yeah, or or first he says something negative like in this last chapter and then the spirit that torments him overwhelms him. I'm not really sure what the spirit that <clears throat> torments him is, but I think it seems very much like Pharaoh. Like we, we your talked heart to, is so hardened. Yeah, yeah. We know that God is is sovereignly in control of it. And we mentioned in the last episode when we just very briefly like that it's not necessarily a, a demon, but the more that we've studied and the more that we've read it, to me it just seems to be so related to the cutting off of, of Goliath's head. It seems so related, like that this spirit that w- that was you were supposed to go to battle against when David kills that thing. Instead of giving him honor, this spirit has come and it's poisoned you. And it just seems so related to that. In my mind, I cannot separate it from like, now not only has the kingdom been ripped from you, now not only is your dynasty been ripped from you, but now you're the thing that was supposed to die. And you are a king like the other nations. You have, you've got this spirit that's, that's tormenting you and possessing you and, and tearing you up. You're just like the ones... The other nations that what you know you mentioned that his name means asked for. It's like granted, it doesn't get any more. You're literally in seemingly at least in my mind, it seems to be a connotation like you're almost a Nephilim king. Yeah, I, oh man, it's unscripted. But your your weekly Star Wars reference brought to you by at the table. Oh man. You have become the very thing you swore to destroy. <laughs> you were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. I just picture in retrospect that Samuel, whenever he's, re- you know, God's rejecting, you were my brother, Anakin. I loved oh you. <laughs> just spiked that mic, too. You just, never mind. Okay. <clears throat> You're welcome. Mm. Dude, Disney ought to be paying us major bucks. Okay. I don't they actually do have Star Wars now. Lucasfilms, yeah. God, we should get... If we're going to be given... No, we don't want your money, Disney. Yeah, actually, that's real. true. Yeah, get we out. would never accept a <laughs> Plus, we... Yeah. Anyway. and We and, wouldn't get it anyway. We're not rainbow enough. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> never will we be. Never will we ever be. Chapter 19 uh, continues to pick up on the snowball effect. So Saul urges his say, his servants and son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of a strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. 
Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place in the fields, and I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. So the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. Typically, that is not catalysted a good thing in Saul's mind. The king, <laughs> but he said, the king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He has never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way that he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all of Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Huh. <laughs> Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason at all. <clears throat> so Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as the Lord surely lives, David will not be killed. So you had, you know, afterwards, Jonathan calls David, tells him what happened, brings David to Saul, and David serves in the court as before. Then war breaks out again after that, and David leads his troops against the Philistines and attacks them with such fury that they all flee away. Yeah. There is one point I want to bring up. Does this not remind you of the conquest? Yeah. Like, the, the conquest that, we, you know, we, we talked about back in Joshua and Judges that was never completed, and the vestiges of that conquest, including the vestiges of the giants that fled during the conquest, are, are, are in combat with the seed of the woman. And he is driving them back, it says, with such fury that they all flee away. Like, David's bringing the funk to them in a way that they ain't had the funk before. That's the war, though. The, you know, remember the king that God says, like, I'm going to have war against him yeah. forever mm -hmm. from generation. That's what you're supposed to do. But it, it just goes back to my point about the spirit that's on him. Every time David wins in battle, every time he does something honorable, that spirit comes over him. Yeah. And he always seems to have a spear in his hand. Like, why is this cat just kicking it? At home with a spear in his hand. Like, bro, you're on high alert constantly. You know, but the, but like you said. You see the dichotomy in him, right? Because at yeah. one point he's like, "I, you're right, Jonathan. As surely, we have no he's, indication he's, that he's, he's like being he's, subtle there or trying to be sneaky. He's like, as surely as the Lord lives, he will not die. You're right. He some, is honorable. He is innocent. Something is possessing him, per se. Yes. It's like this flip-flop back and forth. And there's also a pretty consistent theme of, you know, the only time that I can think of where Saul made a vow and was going to keep it was when he was going to take the life of his own son for doing the same thing. Yeah, He won this battle against the Philistines. He ate a honeycomb, not knowing what his freaking crazy father had vowed, yeah. you know. And then when Saul's like, surely as the Lord lives. You're going to die where you stand. Like, the only time that he has been caring about performing his vows unto the Lord has been when it's come to slaughtering his own child yeah. rashly, right. right? If ever you were going to break your word, let it be then. Right. Yeah. Right. Not now. Not now against the Lord's anointed, yeah. who God is using to win victory for Israel. But like you said, it does give you that feeling because— there is something about the liberation of God's people. It just tears him up. He can't it, stand it. It stokes his flame. That spirit comes over him. I'm telling you, it, it just seems it, it seems too linked. Well, he's the new snake. I mean, you know. He is. Yeah. He's the new snake king that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And in this next story, a similar thing happens. You know, the first Jonathan saves his life. He goes to talk to his dad. That's what we just read. And, and he's like, yo, don't kill this man. He's an innocent man. Besides, he's done a lot for you. Remember yourself whenever he risked his life against the Philistine. It's almost like maybe he's sarcastically saying, hey, you remember that thing you didn't have the guts to do? Yeah, he did that for you and for this kingdom. And God worked salvation through him. Well, now David's life is under threat again. He's won victory and Saul's that spirit tormenting spirit has come on him and it says in verse 11 that Saul sent troops to watch David's house they were to kill David when he came out the next morning 
Oh, my gosh. Didn't take long to break your word there. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, saying, if you do not escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helps him climb out the window. She fled and escaped. And this is peculiar. And she took an idol and put it in his bed. Why is there an idol there? Yeah, in her house. And it, it, the, the word there is taurine. And it Torim, and, it, and it's the household gods. Oftentimes, um, it's a way that they would vent, that they would honor their ancestors. Ancestral spirits. Yep. Yeah, ancestral spirits. Pagan, though. Not ever, sure. ever is it acknowledged by God as a good practice. In fact, it is strictly yeah. forbidden. Yeah. However, we do see it's the same word. Like, and it kind of almost it feels to me like an escalation of rebellion. When Rachel, right, when she flees. And, and Laban comes looking for her and her husband. Those Torim, the same word, the household god she stole from her father, she was able to hide them in the saddle of her donkey, and they, she sat on them, and they were they couldn't be found. They were small enough they could be hidden. Here, they're big enough that they could put a blanket over it and a pillow under its head to make it look like it has hair. And it makes you wonder where she and got it's the size of a person. It makes you wonder where she got this, Right. Because they're at David's house. So surely this is not David's. But what would make sense to me, this is all speculation for the listeners. It's all speculation. So the the taurine is um, also connected to a territorial spirit. And it's interesting how Saul was so territorial over the throne. And there's a taurine in connection with his daughter. I don't know. It, it, to me, it, it too, like, well... We'll just say that. I, yeah. I'm not going to go into it now. But I will say this. Consistent theme through Scripture. If you're ever trying to get away or someone's trying to kill you, go out a window. Yep. Right. <clears throat> you, yep. Need, you need you you need need a, a friend that can lower you out a window. Because <laughs> it is the best way out. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> you're giving criminal advice to me. <laughs> when it's the, biblical advice. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when the troops came to arrest David, it says in 14, she told him he was sick and he couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. So it's almost like they're like, oh, he's sick and in bed. No, we're not going to kill a sick dude. So they go back and Saul's like, ha, it's perfect. That's the perfect opportunity. Go get him. So they go back. And when they came to carry David out, they discovered it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair. And he says, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? He's mad that you have a betrayal. He's mad about betrayal. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? That's our second Star Wars reference for the episode. Yeah. And Michael said, I had to. He threatened to kill me. And it's like, ah, well, you know. We would kind of prefer that you didn't say that, but we're glad you did what you did. Yeah. So I guess we'll take it. We'll justify that one. Yeah. We'll look past it. So then Samuel took David to live with him. So David escapes, and out of all places, Ramah. he flees. He goes to Ramah, where Samuel is. And it's interesting because this is the first time since the initial anointing, the beginning of David's ascent to the throne, that Samuel has been brought to the text. And David is fleeing to him for safety. So he escapes and goes there to see Samuel, and he tells him everything Saul had done to him. Yeah. And then Samuel took David with him to live at Naoth. Then the report reached Saul that David was there in Ramah, and he sent troops to capture him. But when they arrived and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also began to prophesy. When Saul heard what had happened, he sent another batch of troops, and they too prophesied. Then he sends a group of people a third time, and finally he comes himself at Ramah and arrives at the great well. Where is David and Samuel, he says, and they are at Ramah. So they tell him where he's at, and on the way, <laughs> the Spirit of God comes on Saul even as well, and he too began to prophesy all the way there. He tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day and all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. The people who were watching exclaimed, What is even Saul among the prophets? Two questions. What do you think he had to say when he was prophesying? Probably not good against himself. Second of all, doesn't 
doesn't it seem like Samuel's got to be feeling pretty high on the hog? The murderous king who's come to kill the anointed one and who would have killed Samuel too if God had not told him a crafty way to get out of it. It falls, strips his clothes off naked, falls on the ground before you and starts prophesying. Probably nothing good about him, his own self. Oh, heck no. <laughs> and he lays there all day and all night. Naked. Humbled. Very humbled. <laughs> you know this Debased, story, one might even say. Oh, Dr. Gates, I know you'll... I know you can feel this a lot, but I'm struggling so hard not yeah. to jump into future passages because this reminds me of another prophet who's approached on behalf of a king by three separate groups of people all three times ends up in folly, except that folly is a lot more violent than prophesying. <laughs> Man. That's a forecast. I won't divulge into too much detail. So... Chapter 20, where we're going to, to end today, finds David now fleeing from Naoth and Ramah and finding Jonathan. And, you know, I will say, like the first time that I came across this, one of the first questions in my mind was like, David, why? Like you're safe here. And anytime someone comes to get you, the Spirit of God comes on them and they prophesy. Why would you flee from here to go anywhere else? But it's necessary. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, from a practical standpoint, you know, I, the first time I heard that, I'm like, nah, bro, go back. <laughs> that was the same spot, you know? So, anyway, you know. It's all he coming back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. After one night of that, he ain't coming back for number two. And that's kind of sad because that's the first time that the Spirit has come, the Spirit of God, let me rephrase, has come on Saul in a very long time. Yeah, better be specific here. Yeah, yeah, another spirit's been coming on him quite a bit. What is my crime, and what have I done? David asked to Jonathan, "Who have I? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me?" That's not true, Jonathan protested. What? Well, you just it, have to know he that he has to be out of the loop. I think. Well, he's he's a commander of, uh, in the army too, and there is an ongoing war against the Philistines. But that being said, the last time he spoke to his father, his father said, "As surely as the Lord yeah. lives, David will not die." And so Jonathan's rocking on the point, like, surely he wouldn't swear by Yahweh and break his oath. Mm. That's heavy. Jonathan says that's not true. He protests. You are not going to die. That's true. At least not yet. Not for a long time. He always tells me everything he is going to do, even the little things. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. <laughs> You're loving that translation. Right I just can't even. I, I really miss my ESV. <laughs> Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear to it by the Lord and by your own soul. Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. So David replies, Tomorrow we can celebrate the new moon festival. I have always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says fine, you will know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know he is determined to kill me. And again, Struggling so hard not to jump. But this won't be the last time that a Messiah is in Bethlehem and a wicked king ruling desires to strip his life from him. Anyway, show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord, or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. So Jonathan, like, swears this oath, and David says, how will I know if your father's angry? So Jonathan's like, you know, paraphrasing here. Tell you what, come out to the field with me. It's a promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, by this time tomorrow, 
or the next day at the latest, I'll talk to my father. And if he speaks favorably about you, I'll let you know. But if he's angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you. And, you know, one last thing. Treat all of my family with steadfast love. That chesed, that same word that God spoke back to the people at Sinai when they rebelled. My steadfast loving kindness showed me in all of my family chesed forever. And so David says, you got it. (laughs) He he literally says that treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all of your enemies from the face of the earth. It's almost an acknowledgement like some of my family might be among those enemies. Yeah. But God's going to destroy them. Amen. So he makes his pact with David. May the Lord destroy all of your enemies. Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for he loved David as he loved himself. He said, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed when the table is empty. The day after tomorrow, towards evening, go to the palace where you, the place, sorry, where you hid before and wait there by the stone pile. I'll come out and shoot these three arrows. And paraphrasing the rest of that portion, he says, You'll know if my father's angry if I shoot those three arrows. And instead of sending my servant all the way out to retrieve, if I tell him, Hey, are they not beyond you? Let's just go back. But if I tell him, Go ahead and go pick them up, you know you're good, right? So they go to the field and he shoots these arrows out after he's talked with his dad. And here's what the cat, the, the conversation goes like. Um, Saul didn't say anything about it that day for when David's missed. This is verse 26. For he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was, it's kind of ironic that Saul's thinking, oh, well, maybe he wasn't ceremonially clean. Right. Like, bro. Yeah, you just tried to kill him, dude. (laughs) But to me, though, I mean, it shows still, once again, like the... Bipolar almost, this flip-flop in Saul constantly back and forth. Like, why would you assume that that's the thing that made him not come to dinner? Not the fact that you tried to run three spears through him, Man. or that you tried to go all the way to, to Ramah to kill him in so, front of the the so prophet of, of three God. Three groups before you went yourself. Three groups of soldiers first. Like, the last time this dude seen you, you were butt naked prophesying all day and, and prophesying all day and all. You know night. what it, it says to me, and I, I hate to kick a dead horse, but it's like something you said earlier, Creek, kind of struck a chord with me. It's Satan really wants David dead. Yeah, he cannot stand it. He wants David dead so bad because, and and we, you know, this series is called the Snake Crusher, and we know that no one knows Scripture better than Satan, other than the Word Himself. And so it's like if we're going on this these clues, yeah, you were right. Satan's got to be extremely concerned that the end is nigh because David's looking really good. And and with this spirit that's on Saul, it's like they are. He's trying very hard to get rid of David. Very hard. Yeah. And so Jonathan, <laughs> you know, Saul's finally like, hey, why isn't the son of Jesse here at the feast, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan said, well, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go, for we're having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there. Please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he's not here. Cover the ears of your little ones. Saul's response is not good. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 36. Read it with a straight face. Don't cover it. NLT is so, Uh, don't skip it. It's like so crazy. Mega cringe. So, which, of course, what he said was make you cringe. But in verse 30, he says, it says that Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. And he said, you stupid son of a whore. (laughs) The ESV says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. That sounds like a really, like, English Oxford way of saying the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) You stupid. He called his son. First of all, you're insulting your son. Second of all, you're bringing his mama into it for no reason. But he says, you stupid son of a whore. That's rough. Well, it's even crazier. He says, as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. Mm. And, he, you know, he's more or less saying here, like, unless David dies, 
You're never going to be king. Saul is acknowledging what everyone else knows to be true. David is the next king. Yeah. And right the next part I I love because Jonathan says, "Why, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But then Saul hurled his spirit, Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father had really determined to kill David. He just tried to kill the heir that he was so concerned about. And it shows you, I'm so glad you said that, that his concern is not for his son's kingdom. Saul didn't kick back like this when his dynasty got got rejected. Saul started kicking back like this when he was rejected. Right. Right. Never said squat about Jonathan being rejected. But now that Saul's replacement is before his naked eyes on a day-to-day basis, can't stand it. Absolutely can't stand it. And he tries to tell Jonathan. It's almost like he knows because of their friendship. Uh, well, I mean, he does know that Jonathan knows where he's at because Jonathan's like, I told him, yeah, go ahead and go. Yeah. And then, you know, Saul's like, go bring him to me so that I can kill him. And whenever Jonathan says he's innocent, the same kind of treatment that the anointed is getting from Saul, that anyone that would ally themselves to the anointed gets from Saul too. Even his own son is not exempt from literally having a javelin thrown at him. But Saul says something true, not the the shaming of Jonathan's mother. I love how he calls Jonathan's mother a whore and then accuses Jonathan of shaming her. But... (laughs) That being aside, <laughs> right. what, what he says, and this is the part that I love, he says, do you think that I do not know that you want him to be king in your place? It's like shaming yourself. Well, yeah, yeah because Yahweh wants him to be king. It's crazy. Right. He's like <laughs> shaming yourself and your mother. Bro, you did that. <laughs> you called her a whore. Just now. <laughs> You, you called me stupid, and you called her a whore. This like, dude is wild, dog. It makes no sense. Wild. But I love that because, like, it's something we we began this episode with: is Jonathan does not see the anointing or the kingship as something to be had for one's own sake. Yes. If David is anointed, if God is with David, if the Spirit of God is in David, then that's who should be king, because that's what we need. We need to be led, right? We need to be led by someone in whom the Spirit of God is. Man. Yeah. Amen. And and it's good. Jonathan feels that. You know, but like you said, apparently Saul doesn't. And the story ends, at least for this chapter, tragically in the way that, you know, Saul, Jonathan storms away from the table. So apparently, like, Saul's just keeping a spear by the table, too. Like, everywhere this dude sits, he's got a spear. It's freaking crazy. But he tries to spear Jonathan while they're sitting at the table. And Jonathan storms away from the table in fierce anger. And he goes out, and he shoots the arrow. And you can just imagine. I, Creek, you said something at the beginning that's so pivotal. So often we kind of, like, glaze over the text, and we forget a human being that bleeds that hurts, that weeps, that cares, and that cries just like you is who you're reading about. And I can almost picture, like, David with this anticipation by this pile of stones that he's been waiting by while everybody that's inside at the table that he would probably love to have a seat at right now, eating in peace with his wife, eating in peace with his father-in-law. And his king. And his brother-in-law. Yeah. In David's eyes, he's still king. He loves him. And David is, it hurts you for him because he's been disregarded by his father. He's been insulted by his brothers. The majority of what we get about David at this point. Rejection. Has been rejection. And he's starting to get like from the people. The yeah. pe- it's catching traction, right? The people when like he's doing him. what they like. Yeah, when he's doing what they like. But even the, the the like that he's getting from the people, and even that the the love, the the chesed, really that he is getting from Jonathan, is not getting him a seat at the table where he is allowed to dwell amongst his comrades in peace. And the story ends with Jonathan shooting these arrows out. And you can just picture David beside those stones 
when he hears Jonathan's voice tell the servant, don't bother going to get them. They're beyond you. And David and Jonathan meet, and Jonathan says to him, it, it's so heartbreaking. Verse 41 says that David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in, were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is a witness of bond between us and between our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to the town. And the story ends with, sorry, Trey, with, it's cemented. Like, the situation seems to be beyond hope. It's at least as far as Saul turning around. Right. It's not right. happening, right? There is officially enmity <coughs> in between David and Saul. And if we hearken back to our Genesis 3.15, which we often do in this Snake Crusher series, you have David represented, represented as the seed of the woman, hitting all of the markers. He's from Judah, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? The thing that there is enmity between him is Saul. Saul is taking the role of the seed of the serpent when he is not actually, you know, physically the seed of the serpent. Mm. At least not that we know, right? Maybe that spirit in him, though. Right. But there, there is enmity in between those two, and one is trying to, I mean, right? Like the snake will bite the heel, right? And Saul's trying to kill him. At every turn, he desires to see him slain. It's like you said, there is something about the circumstance that continues to flesh out for us a seed war. There, There is a war that is waging to knock Yahweh's chosen seed off before he gets here. Yeah, I, I don't think it's any coincidence. I mean, you have this, this giant killed uh, and. If we haven't been clear in this episode, we've talked about in other episodes, so if you're just kicking on now, like the consensus amongst early church fathers and, and Jewish historians um, in the Second Temple era is that demons, what we call demons in the church, they are not specifically fallen angels. They're not angels. They're never called angels. But demons are the departed spirits of the giants, of the Nephilim. They're, they're the spirits that, that they're, they're not welcome in heaven. Right, but their time to go to hell is isn't yet, yeah. and so they wander the earth. And it's like the second this this nephilim has his head cut off, this spirit comes on Saul mm. and starts trying to do what the this what Goliath was trying to do. It's the same thing, yeah. right? What it couldn't do through Goliath, it's trying to do through David. And I'm not sure that it's the same spirit, but the goal is through definitely Saul, the same through Saul to David. Yeah, right. And it, and it, it is d- deeply connected. And we leave this off in, in like a sorrowful moment where if you thought that David was going to take the, the the throne because of his marriage, right? it ain't happening. No. It is not happening. We will have to have a very ugly uncoronation. Right. But the cool thing is, is that the heir apparent, Jonathan, by Saul's own mouth, don't you think that I know you want David to be king instead of you? Like, yeah. Wow. Because that's what God wants. Yeah. And what God wants is good. Yeah, that's a good point. And that'll be like that when we pick up next time in our Snake Crusher series, that's what we'll, we'll be exploring about our current candidate of the Snake Crusher is we are waiting. This is in narrative terms. This is the ascending part of the text, building up to a climax. We need that scepter, right? This that was promised. Be a and I'm I'm thinking of the the um the prophecies of Balaam, right? There's a scepter. Is this the scepter? It's like it's it's from Judah. It's coming, right? This is going to be the one who who reigns forever. Maybe. Well, God has protected David thus far, so yeah. You know. You know, just I know this is we talk about this all the time, but like this is like the, the third landing. <laughs> Being from a Pentecostal tradition, we get more than one. But something that you said earlier, Dalton, you were you were contrasting David, um, 
in in the kings of the nations, right? Like that that he isn't like those. But in a way, the fact that he is after Yahweh's own heart, he almost is like those other those other kings. He does have a heritage, right? He does have a father who is God, but just not in the same way. Right. And it, and it, I couldn't help but get it out of my mind. It's like he does have a representative father in the heavens, and his reign does come from him. His appointment, his anointing, it does come from, from a divine. And, in fact, he's the only one who has any legitimacy in that. Yeah. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. So, well, guys, that's it. Yeah. Thank you for uh, tuning into another episode of At the Table podcast. Um, I, I pray that uh, it blesses you guys and you all um, gain insight and learn something. Yeah, from all of us here. God bless you. Godspeed. Catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you and taught you something. And if you enjoyed, leave us a good rating and like us on Facebook. And from all three of us, until next time, thank you and God bless.